Hello everyone and welcome to Wise Brussels Voices and our series with women leaders. I'm Ilana Vaitel. I'm a member of Wise Brussels, that's Women in International Security, and I'm your host for this conversation with women who are leading and shaping the world in many ways and fields. This is a special short episode devoted to understanding the events and repercussions of the horrendous Hamas attack on Israel on 7th of October and the unfolding war in Gaza. There is a real danger it may expand to Lebanon or Syria, or indeed potentially a wider regional event. But even if not, one week in, we are faced with new and dangerous realities. With the war in Ukraine still in full flow, Europe now has two conflicts on its borders, and the US has to deal with two allies in danger. But that is not all. Africa is experiencing a series of coups as Azerbaijan strode into Armenia and annexed it, causing 100,000 ethnic Armenians to flee. And throughout this all, the multilateral system, the UN notably, is dysfunctional, and Russia and Iran appear to be very happy. This is a world of disorder, and we are seeking a few pointers to understand the immediate implications. To this end, we have with us the eminent German journalist and commentator, Anna Saubre, foreign editor of Die Zeit, and a columnist for the New York Times. Hi, Anna, and thank you very much for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. Good. We usually start, and let us not ruin that uh, particular uh, uh, tradition, uh, with you introducing yourselves, uh, yourself so that we can have a better idea who we're talking to. Well, as I said, happy to be here. Um, uh, so I have been the foreign editor at uh, Die Zeit, which is Germany's largest weekly newspaper for one and a half years now. I started there on uh, February 15th, uh, just uh, a few days before Russia went for a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. So that has very much um, been an event uh, I have following very closely throughout um, my time there. I have been, um, as you said, uh, with Der Tagesspiegel before that, um, which is a daily newspaper where I've headed the opinion pages and was the deputy editor-in-chief. Um, that was my last position with my old newspaper. Um, I am very much interested uh, in the United States. Uh, I have uh, I go there for reporting trips several times a year, and uh, I have uh, written for the New York Times in Germany. So I often take that dual perspective, um, the transatlantic perspective, looking from a German perspective at the United States and from a U.S. perspective at Germany. Um, and I have two kids. I live in Berlin with my family, and uh, also I'm a lot in Hamburg, of course, where my newspaper is headquartered. Well, that sounds lovely. I should also point out that you're a historian and you have a PhD from in history from Mainz University. Is that correct? Yes, in, in early modern history. <laughs> <laughs> Since I'm also an historian, I always point out when people have that the, yeah. background. <laughs> but maybe this will come in useful. Anna, where are we and how have we ended up here so suddenly? Uh, I'm not sure we have ended up here suddenly. It certainly does seem so now. Um, but now, looking back at maybe the past years, uh, the um, Israeli government's uh, policies towards the uh, Palestinians, also the international community, and particularly the United States losing interest in solving that core conflict in the Middle East, Looking back at all that, it's maybe not that surprising what we see now, um, but at the same time, it came as a surprise to Israel, it seems. It came as a surprise to many Western countries and the United States. The bigger also the 
vitality of the hatred, um, obviously, of the uh, Hamas uh, fighters who managed to penetrate the border to Israel, killing hundreds of people in really atrocious acts of, of murder and violence. Um, all that came as a surprise, and I think it has traumatized Israel. Uh, and it's also a traumatic experience for, for the world community. And how do you think it's being perceived both in Germany and in the US? I think when we look at the government's reaction, uh, the, both the US government and the German government couldn't have been clearer in their condemnation of the violence against Israel, of the terrorist attack itself and in its message of support. I think it was pretty ambivalent, um, also comparing it maybe with the EU reaction. There was, of course, there was some cautioning half sentences uh, towards Israel of um, being proportionate, I think was the word used mostly in the United States in their reaction to the conflict, but nobody used the word restraint for example. And so I think it, it really was Germany and the US and also other Western countries very clearly taking sight of Israel and showing their empathy with the Israeli people. The Quint issued a joint statement that is the United States together with Germany, France and Britain and Italy, um, which was pretty much the same language as Biden's statement this week. Um, I think it's a different story when you look at the domestic reaction or the societal reactions. Um, in Germany, there were some pro-Palestinian demonstrations, though small. Um, but I think when you listen to Jewish people in Germany, when you listen to Palestinian people to Germany, and I've just returned from a stay in Harvard, where really the whole Harvard community was uh, upset by the events um, and where the events have really instilled a lot of, of partisanship and agony and unpeace. So I think the, the societal reaction is, is much more ambivalent and causes a lot more pain um, than, than the very, um, the very univocal um, government responses. And what about the broader Europe? Um, I mean, the EU did not exactly excel itself this week in one way or another probably as ever from that point of view. But nonetheless, is Europe divided over this issue or do you perceive Europe to be united? I think the largest countries are pretty united in their response. Um, I was a bit surprised about Borrell's um, response. He spoke in Oman after meeting with Arab leaders. And I think that was sort of the inverse of what we saw as a reaction from uh, the United States and, and larger countries like Germany, um, clearly addressing the Israelis, saying they have the right to defend themselves, um, but really warning that it has to be done in accordance with international law and humanitarian law, and also saying that some decisions Israel has already taken, like uh, blocking the Gaza Strip, um, and now 
uh, most recently asking people to leave the northern parts of the Gaza Strip to go south, uh, 1.1 million people actually being asked to leave their homes uh, in the Gaza Strip, um, that those acts are uh, against international law. So that was, I think, the clearest condemnation of Israel's reaction we have we have seen uh, in the West, which is not in line with, with the largest uh, nation states. I find that pretty interesting. Indeed it is. And at the same time, the Ukrainian war has not gone anywhere. It is still there. It is still flaming away. It's just been knocked down into the second order of headlines. It was very striking to see in a lot of newspapers or in a lot of platforms and internet platforms um, how much it was now second rank. And, you know, sort of these events um, had taken first rank. Do, do you perceive that this was planned, let's say, by Russia, that there was any communication between Russia and Hamas, Russia and Ukraine? Because um, this clearly is very much useful to Russia. I don't know. Um, and I haven't seen any evidence yet. I mean, we do uh, see some indicators of uh, Iran's involvement. Um, uh, probably everybody listening has, has read about the Wall Street Journal story that is, was based on uh, sources both in Hezbollah, Hezbollah and Hamas saying that they had been helped um, by Iran. Of course, we don't know to what extent that really was the case or whether that was part of the broader strategy of making this a major conflict of really escalating things in the region. Um, this could be. And then there's, of course, this indirect tie, the closer relationship that Russia and Iran have formed um, since the beginning of the war in um, Ukraine. Russia very much depending on Iranian weapons deliveries, particularly drones. Um, I believe there's a plant, uh, a drone building plant being built in Russia by Iran uh, to supply those drones and even in higher quantities to Russia um, and also trade between the two countries picking up for the lack of other alternatives. Um, in how far Russia really was involved in planning this, uh, some in the security community may know, I do not. But of course, it is against the backdrop of the conflict in Ukraine too, that uh, Western um, intelligence services may have been distracted and have just, uh, you know, reattributed resources uh, to, to the war in Ukraine in, in recent years. And it could be possible that this is one of the reasons why this came as such a surprise. Um, that really leads to the heart of the matter, especially um, for Europe, but, you know, war on two fronts. Do you think Europe is up to it? I mean, I since I don't think Europe or any of the major European nations will get directly involved in, in the Israel war anytime soon. I mean, Germany has now done a lot, um, comparing it to the old Germany before the famous uh, Zeitenwende speech. Um, Germany will deliver um, some military support to Israel, for example, it will uh, give Israel a couple of drones that they had actually leased from Israel that used to be in Germany, which will now go back to Israel. So this, but this is like on a very small scale compared to, of course, what Germany and other European countries are providing in aid to Ukraine. So I think it will be more the United States who has 
to ask uh, themselves how much are they invested in in this new war in Israel? How much support will they send there? They have already deployed uh, one aircraft uh, carrier and uh, they will deploy uh, planes um, to, to Israel, which at the moment is, of course, rather like a gesture uh, and uh, a gesture of resolution and, and support, of military resolution and support. Um, there's no indication yet that um, these military means will um, will actually be used to support Israel in this war. Um, I don't think so for the moment being. Um, but of course, it, it does uh, take a lot of diplomatic resources. Um, it, it, it's the refocusing um, of where uh, also and Tony Blinken and uh, other top diplomats are um, are looking for. And um, I do think it will be difficult to maintain um, the same focus on both conflicts at, at the same time, even for a very large country with a very large State Department like the United States. And coming back to Germany, um, do you think Germany is capable at this point when it is appears to be an in internal turmoil to a certain extent too, with its government not terribly stable? How will it react to not necessarily providing weapons or not providing weapons, but this is a geostrategic crisis at the end of the day, and it is sitting on the border of, you know, the Middle East isn't near China. The Middle East, though the EU tends to pretend it's near China, um, the Middle East is actually just down the road from uh, Cyprus and, and Greece. Um, so does Germany have the capacity to think strategically in these situations? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it has the capability to think strategically. Um, I'm not sure Germany is going to go beyond the gestures of solidarity um, that we have seen from, from the government in recent days. Um, as you said, it, it is a very in a difficult domestic situation with uh, the far right surging, the government being rather unstable or in constant conflict. Um, and uh, I'm not sure Germany is in the best position either to play, for example, a media a role as a mediator in this conflict. Um, it has been Germany's line uh, at least since Angela Merkel spoke in front of the Knesset in 2008 that Israel's security is a German Staatsraison, a reason of state. Um, and as I said, Germany has taken a very unambivalent uh, position uh, and has so far not called on Israel to show some restraint in its military reaction to the terror attack. So I'm not sure Germany would make the best mediator. And I'm not sure this government wants to be involved in another major crisis as a major player. Um, it just doesn't seem to be their field. And um, yeah, in a way, it's a shame because I think Germany would have the capacity to do so. Um, but it hasn't made the Middle East a priority either in recent years. On the contrary, it uh, has stood by and looked at and provided some humanitarian aid uh, to Palestinian organizations. It's uh, sold some weapons to Israel, um, but that's, that's about it. And taking a step back to the broader EU position, I mean, they didn't exactly excel themselves this week. You know, sort of the most of the focus appeared to be an argument between 
um, over messaging, um, you know, Borrell saying one thing, uh, the parliament saying another, um, do you think they will sort themselves out and be capable to capable of offering some more coherent and potentially geostrategic capability? I mean, it would be good um, because the EU, <laughs> if the EU had like a really excellent top diplomat or if Ursula von der Leyen um, would decide to really, uh, you know, throw herself into the game, the EU would be in a pretty good position to uh, play a, a mediating role because they, um, other than Germany or the United States, um, have a yeah, have more of a tradition of really being in contact with both sides and many EU funds are used to support Palestinian aid organizations. Um, and it, it has uh, also, as we saw now um, with Borrell in, in Oman, it, it has the channels um, to speak with, uh, with the Arab countries. Um, uh, it would also be able to speak uh, to Israel. Um, but but as you said, the, the reactions were quite divided. Um, the major players, France and Germany and, and Italy, um, have very much signed on to the American position. Um, so it's hard to imagine that the EU really does play a major role um, in, in a diplomatic solution. So it's the US again. It's down to the ground again, there, which is depressing. I mean, we've uh, we've talked about you know more geopolitical European Union, more geopolitical Germany. We've uh, and we did. I mean, we did see a Zeitenwende on on both on both levels. We saw a Zeitenwende in Germany as one of the the or the most important state within the European Union, and we've also seen the EU really stepping up in the conflict with Ukraine, offering membership. Uh, providing military support, providing financial support to Ukraine. Um, but it seems like this is not repeated uh, in, in this conflict on the very, very border of, uh, of the European Union. So let's look ahead. What do you think is going to happen now over this coming week? To me, the, the immediate outlook is quite dire because I think first what we will see in, in the coming hours with the military buildup um, at the border to the Gaza Strip uh, with the call to 1.1 million Palestinians in Gaza to leave the northern parts of the Strip, um, the first thing we will see is just more violence. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I have not been to Gaza, I've been uh, to the West Bank and to Israel, but I do remember the, the claustrophobic feeling that, you know, comes over you when you're in this country and when when you realize when you're there how small it all is and how densely populated and, and just to imagine uh, that Israel might uh, might attempt a ground offensive uh, or try to occupy some of the northern part of the Gaza Strip, or even just bombard it um, even more intensively than than we have already seen it in the past days. Um, There's just a horrific, um, a horrific sight. Uh, looking at it just as human being, not not you know like a geopolitical observer. And I think that's what what we will now see in in the coming days, unfortunately. And what if the northern border, or what if Lebanon and Hezbollah? get involved it, it would be a strain 
on Israel, um, and it will put Israel in a very difficult situation, I think. Um, I mean, right now, and, and I'm not uh, familiar enough with, with the conditions in Lebanon um, to, to really have my own expertise uh, on that, but uh, I think what, what most uh, experts on the region keep hoping for is that uh, Lebanon is just too preoccupied with its own problems. I mean, it's basically a broken state um, and which which hardly uh, can provide its own population with enough electricity and clean water. Um, corruption is on a, on a very high level uh, and it's not quite clear that uh, the very divided government there is going to want to be a major player in this conflict and take the Israeli retaliation on top of all of the other problems um, that are piling up in the country. So we can hope that Lebanon right now is too weak maybe to, to become involved. Lebanon itself, yes, but Hezbollah, when it's not in the government or when it is in the government, does not usually yeah. really care about what um, the rest of Lebanon has to suffer um, if it wants to do something. I think that really brings us back to the US. The US, best of my understanding, it moved its uh, aircraft carriers closer to uh, Lebanon, not just as a sign of solidarity with Israel, but also to signal Iran that it mm. shouldn't come closer and therefore to try and restrain Hezbollah. So I think we can summarize by saying, let's hope that this week um, we'll see the ending of the war in Gaza and no spread of the war further, because I think that would be a great danger also for Europe and for the much wider region. Absolutely, let's still hope for the best. Let's still hope for the best. Anna, thank you very, very much. And um, we very much hope to see you back here on um, our podcast again in a further episode. That's a wrap on this episode of Wise Brussels Voices. Thank you so much to Anna Saubre for joining us here at very short notice. We'd also like to thank our technical team at Free Range Productions. Keep listening to our conversations and support us with a subscription on your podcast platform. Leave us a five star on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And of course, add to the conversation with your comments. We're on all media as Wise Brussels. So reach out on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and even TikTok. Learn more about Wise Brussels on our website, wise-brussels.org. I'm Ilana Beitel with my friend and producer, Florence Ferrando, and we'll be back very soon with another great conversation. 